Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Hello everyone and welcome to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Do you need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners of The Circle Opens can use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their order anytime, and there's always free shipping to the United States. That is Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Welcome back, everybody. Happy holidays. This is the last episode of The Circle Opens before Christmas, so I just want to take this moment to wish you all a happy holiday, no matter where you live or what you may celebrate. If you don't celebrate the holidays, then I hope you have a fantastic week and an even better Wednesday. This year has been a lot, had well, it's had a lot of ups and downs, um, but this podcast has definitely been a highlight for me, and I am, of course, always thankful for you guys for giving it a chance and continuing to listen week to week. Um, Without you guys, I really have no podcast. So thank you. Thank you. And before we jump into chapter 34, I would like to just give a few very quick shout outs to a couple people who have been really great and supportive of this podcast almost from its inception. Uh, Melissa from Brook Reading Pod. Melissa gives some incredible reviews of the books that she's read. Um, She also did a two-part It Chapter 2 uh, review with some of her friends that I just had a blast listening to. Um, she's done quite a few Stephen King novels, um, and I've loved those reviews so much. Um, but even her non-Stephen King novels, um, if I haven't read the book, and I, I'm not sure if I will or not, I still listen to the episode just because I love hearing her thoughts on the stuff that she's read. And so I highly recommend Brook Reading Pod if you are a reader um, or even a Stephen King fan. Definitely check her out. Nick and Jordan from Take Three Movie Podcast. Uh, just like if you love reading, listen to Brook Reading Pod. But if you love movies, check out uh, the Take Three Movie Podcast. I have so enjoyed listening to this podcast over the last few months. I'm a big movie person, um, and a lot of their uh, movie, um, oh, what's the word? genres that they enjoy, their tastes in movies um, are very aligned to mine. So it's been so much fun listening to their back catalog and catching up on their new stuff as well. Um, Jordan is a big Stephen King fan, and it's been so great uh, getting to know him and talking to him this year about Stephen King and The Stand. So please, please check out uh, Take Three Podcast with Nick and Jordan. Um, They have a great chemistry together, a lot of fun banter, and I generally find myself uh, laughing or giggling in my office at work while I listen to this podcast. So definitely check them out. And the What Does It Matter podcast. Um, I've started listening to this a couple months ago, and I'm trying to keep up with the new stuff, but I also like going through Sean's back catalog of this podcast. And I think his first episode was like in 2016. So I have a lot of episodes to catch up on. <laughs> but the, the great thing about this podcast is no topic is off topic. Um, they talk about everything. Sean talks about everything, anything that interests him. And I really like this kind of, I have so many specific 
podcasts on my phone. Um, true crime, movie podcasts, uh, Brook Reading Pod is the only book review podcast I have on there, but it's the best one. So, um, But the What Doesn't Matter podcast is something very new to me because I'm not usually um, someone who listens to just a podcast that does whatever they want. Sometimes I like zone in. I'm like, I need a topic. I need a weekly topic uh, to keep myself invested. But not with the What Doesn't Matter podcast. The What Doesn't Matter podcast is just, it's so much fun. It's so entertaining. I am always laughing out loud. But he and his guests also have some really um, insightful conversations. So please check out the What Doesn't Matter podcast. Uh, You will not regret it, I promise. (laughs) And then last but not least, um, Secondhand Bookery. They are not a podcast. They are an Etsy store that sells Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more. Um, But they have been so great for me. Uh, A few weeks after, I think it was a few weeks after I started my podcast, they reached out to me um, wanting to help me out, help me spread the word of my podcast. And in turn, I help spread the word of their bookstore. And it's been so worth it. I love their bookstore. I need Christmas to be over so I have money again so I can just buy all the Stephen King books that they have <laughs> that I don't already have. So they have been awesome. Thank you guys so much for everything that you have done for me this year. I have so many other people I could thank, um, but that would probably push this episode to like two hours. And I do plan on giving you guys shout outs and thank yous um, very soon. But thank you. Thank you to everybody who's emailed me. Everybody who has left me a rating or review, um, you don't know how much it really means to me to hear from you guys. So thank you to everybody. Um, Please check out the podcast I've mentioned. Check out Secondhand Bookery. And I think it's time now to get back to The Stand. Last week, we checked back in with Nick Andros, who was still in Shoyo, Arkansas, and he's alone, but soon attacked by Ray Booth, who is dying of Captain Trips. In the struggle, Nick gets gouged pretty uh, pretty bad in the eye, and uh, while Nick manages to survive, he does end up shooting and killing Ray in the process. So while Nick is dealing with potentially being blind in one eye, the power begins to fail across the country. So today we're going to dive into Chapter 34, and this is where we're going to meet a brand new character by the name of Donald Merwin Elbert from Paltonville. Indiana. I really should have checked to see if that's how you say it. Paltanville. Paltonville. I'm going to say Paltonville. And if it's different, I want somebody to tweet me and tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> so uh, Donald is also known to the people in his hometown as Trash Can Man. Now, this chapter goes back and forth between Donald's childhood and then the present. And in the present, he is alone and he's eating a peanut butter and jelly and tomato and mustard sandwich um, in the deserted streets of his hometown. And he is eyeing some oil tanks on the horizon. But Trash Can Man is also hearing voices in his head taunting him and his penchant for pyromania. So I read this chapter about two or three times before I uh, wrote my review of it. And I think Just to avoid any potential confusion of jumping back and forth the way King wrote it, I think it's best if we just focus on Trash Can Man's past first, and then we can shift to the present to what he's doing and thinking. So Trash Can Man, who was born Donald Merwin Elbert, he was five years old when his father, Wendell Elbert, 
got into an argument with a local bartender, and some words were exchanged, and Wendell pulled out a gun and shot and killed the bartender before he goes home and shoots Donald's sister and two brothers. He would have killed Donald's mother, uh, Sally, and Donald as well, and he tried to, but Sally ran from the house with Donald in her, her arms, um, and the pistol that Wendell was carrying exploded in his hand as he fired after them, and the shrapnel from this pistol has shredded his face almost beyond recognition. This prompted Wendell to wander up the street, bloodied and screaming, until Sheriff Greeley stopped him outside of the Methodist church and ordered him to drop the gun. Wendell pointed the gun at Greeley, and Greeley, who did not notice the barrel of the gun was ruptured or pretended not to notice, shot Donald's father dead in the street. After Wendell's death, it was just Donald and Sally. Sally got a job at the local cafe, and while in first or second grade, Donald begins setting fires, mostly in people's trash cans. Hence the new nickname for him in town, Trash Can Man. Adults didn't seem to catch on to who was doing this until about, I think, yeah, until Trash Can Man was in the third grade. That's when the sheriff came around the house and ended up becoming Donald's stepfather. (laughs) So yeah, the man who shot and killed Donald's father married Donald's mother. And so how's that for some drama? Needless to say, uh, Trash Can Man did not think that this was right. And he continued to light fires, burning mailboxes in the fourth grade. One of these mailboxes included Miss Semple's pension check. And this is an event that still sticks with trash in his head. Um, And Greeley suggested to Sally that they send Trash Can Man to that place down in Terre Haute. But Sally won't have it. She accuses Greeley of thinking Donald is crazy. And he just wants to get rid of him the way that Greeley got rid of Donald's father. The only other thing Greeley could do was bring the boy up on charges, and you can't send a kid of 10 to reform school, not unless you want him to come out with a size 11 asshole, not unless you wanted your new wife to divorce you. When Donald was in the fifth grade, he started a fire in the living room of an abandoned house in a neighboring town, and this caused this house to burn completely flat. Greeley had put Donald in a cell because of uh, there were a gang of kids who were beating him up. But now it seemed like the adults were after him, too. I mean, after all, the house fire could have spread to the other homes, the whole neighborhood, the whole township, had it not been raining. And this is when Greeley finally realizes that he needs to get Donald sent to Terre Haute. And I'm assuming this is a hospital, a psychiatric ward, maybe, um, psychiatric hospital. And Sally threatens to leave him if he does it, um, because this is her only surviving son. This is her baby. And Greeley does it anyway. Trash Can Man is sent to Terre Haute for two years, and Sally makes good on her promise to divorce Greeley. Soon after, the voters of Poutonville vote him out of his position as sheriff, and Greeley leaves town to work in Gary, Indiana, on an auto assembly line. All because, well, I can't say that the voters voted him out because of uh, him sending Trash Can Man away. I'm going to assume that they probably voted him out because it took him so damn long to do it. Sally comes to see uh, Trash Can Man every weekend, and she cries every time. The hospital in Terre Haute had let him go when Donald was 13. 
Apparently, they didn't know if he was really cured or not, but they said that he was because they needed his room for some new crazy kid. So Trash Can goes home. He goes home. And apparently, um, while they while he was in Terre Haute, they treated, quote unquote, Trash Can Man with electroshock therapy, which damaged his memory. So school was not an easy thing for Donald. He he could study and study for a test, but by the time he sat down to take the test, he's forgotten everything. That's a serious thing, but honestly, that's me now. <laughs> I can't. I can think of something, and in five minutes, it's gone from my brain. So I feel you, Trash. There is a brief moment in time where Trash doesn't set any. He doesn't set any more fires. He's not lighting any more fires, and things seem really normal. Um, at least for a little while, things are normal enough. Greeley's gone. His mom is working at the local cafe, and Donald was becoming a bit obsessed with watching the cheery oil tanks on the horizon. He is wondering how these tanks would go up. Three single explosions, loud enough to rip your eardrums to tatters and bright enough to fry your eyeballs in their sockets. Three pillars of fire. And this is an interesting um, passage here from King. This is Trash's mindset. Three pillars of fire, father, son, and holy father killing sheriff. Would they burn all day and night for months? Or maybe they wouldn't burn at all. So while Trash is back and not lighting fires, he's still getting a lot of verbal abuse from the locals in Paltonville. They call him halfwit, loony, or torchy. And it's Carly Yates who actually remembered Trash Can Man lighting the trash cans back when he was younger. He's the one who first called Donald Trash Can Man to begin with, and that's the name that sticks. So Trash begins working at a local car wash called the Scrub-A-Dub-A Car Wash. And just a quick side note, I don't know if Scrub-A-Dub-A Car Wash was a real business in Indiana. Probably not. But I really have always enjoyed the business names that Stephen King comes up with for his fictional places. They always are just, I don't want to say ridiculous because they're not ridiculous, but they're always really fun. And Scrub-A-Dub-A Car Wash really rolls off the tongue quite nicely. <laughs> so this is where Trash begins to work. And people still yell at him from across the street, asking what Miss Semple said when her pension check went up in flames. And did he wet the bed after he burned down the house in Sedley? The voices eventually become phantom voices to him, but then people kind of kick it up a notch and they begin to throw rocks at him and other things like full beer cans. And they throw these things at him from the other side of the street or from a dark alley. Um, I believe he got a beer can thrown at his head from a passing car. So to trash, this is life. Voices, flying rocks, the car wash. On his lunch breaks, he sits and eats sandwiches that his mother made him, and he stares at those cheery oil tanks. And then one night, Trash finds himself inside the Methodist church, and this is the same church where his father had been killed by the sheriff just outside. Trash pours gallons of gasoline along the vestibule and the aisles, and he knew it's he knew this was bad. It says, this is bad and maybe worse than that. It's stupid. They'll know who did it. They'd know who did it even if someone else did it, and they'll put you away. But this does not deter Trash Can Man. 
A slow smile came to his face, and he upended the gas can, and he had run straight up the center aisle with it. The gas sprang out all the way from the vestibule to the altar he had run, like a groom late to his own wedding, and so eager that he had begun to spray hot fluid, more properly meant for his soon-to-be marriage bed. Yeah, so King has a way with words, doesn't he? (laughs) I remember reading this when I was younger, like 14, 13, 14, and I had no clue what that meant until a few years later. I was like, oh, (laughs) so trash sets fire to the gas. And the next day, wouldn't you know it, he's riding to the Northern Indiana Correctional Center for Boys, past the black and smoldering ruin of the church he had set fire to. And he passes Carly Yates, who is now Carl Yates, and Carly yells after him, Hey, trash can, why'd you burn up a church? Why didn't you burn up the school? So Trash is 17 when he goes to jail. And when he turned 18, they sent him to state prison. He has no idea how long he was there for, and no one cared that he burned down a church. There were people there who had done much worse, murder, rape, killing of old women, Some of the inmates wanted to do something to him, and some of them wanted him to do something to them, and Trash did not mind this. One man had even told Trash he loved him, and so Trash found this um, being in prison much more preferable to dodging rocks. He feels like he can stay in prison forever, um, and there are nights that he still dreams about those oil tanks and how, in his mind, it's always one singular explosion, and everyone in town would stop what they were doing and watch it. Carly Yates, his mother, the new employee at the Scribba-Dubba car wash. And somewhere along the line while he's in prison, Trash becomes what they call a trustee. And he would help stick inmates to the infirmary after the super flu began to spread. And a few days ago, there had been no more sick people because all of the sick people were dead. Everyone else had died or run off, but for a young guard named Jason Debbins, who shot himself in a prison laundry truck. So as of right now, as of the present in this chapter, it seems like Trash Can Man just walked out of prison at that point and headed home. And this is a very different scenario from Lloyd Henry, um, who is stuck in his cell and unable to go anywhere. But Trash had been in prison long enough that he gained the trust of the guards, maybe the other inmates, that he was able just to not be in a cell to help people uh, walk around the prison. And so when Captain Tripps just takes out everybody, he's able just to walk right out. I don't assume that he escaped from his cell. Um, I don't know how he would have been able to do that. But so that's very interesting to me that he leaves prison and he just goes back home to Poutonville. And that is how we end up in the present now with Trash. And I kind of was trying to figure out how old he probably was if he went to state prison when he was 18. Um, But it doesn't say how long he was there. It just says he didn't know how long he was there. So it could have been a year, could have been five years. Who knows? I can't imagine that he's in his 30s at this point. I would think that he's in somewhere in his 20s, right? I mean, I'm not really sure. Maybe it'll tell us a little bit more down the line. So, but I'm just, I was trying to put that together and I just couldn't figure it out. But I don't think that he is middle-aged by any means. So he is in Poutonville now, staring at those cheery oil tanks on the horizon. And he's still hearing voices in his head. Hey, trash can man, don't you know playing with fire makes you wet the bed? 
Hey, Trash, Sheriff Greeley, cut your old man down like a mad dog. You know that, you fucking weirdo? And so on. But Trash feels like maybe he can just be Donald Elbert again instead of Trash Can Man. Sort of how Carly Yates was now just Carl Yates who sold cars. Except Carl Yates was gone. Everyone was gone. And maybe it was too late for him to be anyone anymore. So Trash is walking along the 130 highway now. And the cheery oil tanks are only about a half a mile away. He has a toolkit in one hand and a five-gallon can of gas in the other. Trash walks into the parking lot. There's a sign that says all visitors must check in at the office. There are a few abandoned cars in the parking lot, but Trash walks right through the gate and heads for the spidery stairs that wound across the nearest tank all the way to the top. Trash starts up the stairs, and he left the voices below. There is only trees and open fields around him now, and he's happy, smiling as he continues up the spiraling stairs. And this is um, a really quick, small passage, but it's one of my favorites only because of how King describes it. It says, when he got to the tank's flat, circular cap, it seemed that he must be standing directly under the roof of the world. And if he reached up, he could scratch blue chalk from the bottom of the skies with his fingernails. There's just something about about the way King describes that the roof of the, the roof of the world, blue chalk from the bottom of the sky is just oh God, it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> so from where Trash is, he can see Gary, Indiana, and Chicago is a dream wrapped in a summer haze. A faint blue glint might have been like Michigan, or maybe that's just wishful thinking. Trash takes the the toolkit to the pumping machinery, and he begins to puzzle this out. And this is also interesting because Trash is not the brightest bulb in the box. I don't think that he's stupid. I just think he has a lot of issues. And so he's not able to do well in school. He can't remember anything, but he seems to be able to suss out this machinery really quickly. So apparently he can't do much else, but if there's the potential for fire, he's a genius. <laughs> And he realizes he doesn't need the gas can because the tank is now full of unleaded gasoline. And some of it had trickled out of the pump and created a puddle on the top of the roof of this tank. So Trash has a package of matches and he feels this combination of guilt and fascination and excitement. And he thinks to himself, I'm standing on a bomb. So Trash lights two matches, but the breeze puffs them out before they can do any damage. He sees a bug struggling in the puddle of gasoline below him, and he thinks to himself that he is that bug. He wondered what kind of world it was where God would not only let you be caught in a big sticky mess like a bug in a puddle of gas, but leave you there alive and struggling for hours, maybe days, or in his case, for years. It was a world that deserved to burn. That was what and Trash gets ready to strike a third match, just waiting for the breeze to die. So finally, he strikes that third match and he drops it into the puddle of gasoline. The flames are blue and spread quickly. Trash watches it, paralyzed with fascination, and then realizes that he could die there. But there might be another purpose in his life now, something very grand and great. So he begins to run for the steps, and a touch of fear trickles into that fascination, because it's a long way down. He knows if he falls down the stairs, he'll likely die. But the tank begins to go. 
The outflow pipe explodes off the top of the tank itself. It's black and twisted into a new shape by the force of the heat. Trash decides to jump over the stairs, and he breaks his wrist in the process and falls 25 feet to the ground. But the adrenaline pushes him, and he begins to run through the parking lot, down the gravel access road. He runs across the highway into a ditch and covers his head. And that's when the oil tank blows. There's a second explosion, and then a third, and Trash is just in ecstasy. But then the burning pieces of the tank start to fall on the other side of the road and in the road. And Trash realizes that he could get killed being so close to the, quote, landing zone. And there's a heat rushing over his skin, tightening it, making it shiny. His eyes are watering in protest. So basically, if he stays there, he's going to just burn alive. So Trash gets up and he runs along the shoulder of the highway towards Gary, Indiana, and the Cherry Oil Company office building explodes behind him, spinning glass and chunks of concrete and cinder block raining on the road. A piece of steel cuts through his shirt sleeve, scraping his skin, and a larger piece, one big enough to have crushed his head, falls in front of him and bounces out of the way. So he's just beyond the fallout zone when the second tank explodes, and the air resistance seems to disappear, pushing him forward, shoving him so hard that his feet leave the ground. His face bore the terrified, pants-sweating grin of someone who had been attached to the world's biggest kite in a high cap of wind and let loose to fly, fly baby, up into the sky until the wind goes somewhere else leaving him to scream all the way down in a helpless power dive. I don't know about you guys, but like the mental image of this was so clear in my head. (laughs) Just that force of heat and wind pushing him forward, throwing him off of his feet. Behind him are continuous explosions. And this is probably my favorite line in the whole chapter. God's ammunition dump going up in the flames of righteousness, Satan storming heaven, his artillery captain, a fiercely grinning fool with red flayed cheeks, trash can man by name, never to be Donald Merwin Elbert again. There are plenty of car wrecks off the road. There's a blue mailbox with a flag up, a dead dog, a power line down in a cornfield. And Trash runs through this another quarter mile and then drops into a shambling walk. He can smell burning and the fire will go on. Um, It's going to go wherever the wind will take it, especially now that they don't have any fire trucks or firefighters to put it out. Maybe it'll burn for months. It'll probably take Paltonville with it. And maybe it'll burn south, all the way south to Terre Haute. Trash looks north towards Gary, Indiana. He can see the town now and then Chicago beyond. How many oil tanks are there? How many gas stations? Trains standing still, fill of LP gas and flammable fertilizer. How many slums dry as kindling? How many more cities? There's a whole country ripe for burning under the summer sun. There were bigger and better fires ahead. His eyes were soft and joyful and utterly crazy. They were the eyes of the man who had discovered the great axle of his destiny and has laid his hands upon it. And that is our introduction to Trash Can Man. We went through the chapter from his history forward to the present, but I really liked how King interspersed Trash's background with the present as he heads for those oil tanks and prepares to blow them up. It's kind of like watching a television episode with perfectly spaced flashbacks to show how Trash got to where he is and who he is. 
And it's interesting to me that he's in this state prison, but he's trusted enough by the guards to help inmates to the infirmary. So clearly he's not a flight risk. Trash actually seems to prefer prison to living in Poutonville. So when Captain Tripps hits, you know, he's essentially able just to walk out of the prison and head back to his hometown. Trash is a pyromaniac, um, obviously, but it also seems like he might be schizophrenic. Um, It could have possibly been inherited from his father, Wendell. We don't know much about Trash's dad beyond the fact that he was a strange man. And all it took is an argument in a bar for him to pull out his gun and murder, you know, four people. And his three of those were his own children. And he attempts to murder the fourth and his own wife. And I don't know enough about mental illness, but I, I obviously don't think that Wendell possibly being schizophrenic pushed him to that. But Wendell could have also been a psychopath. And um, I'm more leaning towards that. But obviously it affected Donald. I mean, he was five years old when his dad murdered his siblings and tried to kill him. So that that is an age where that's going to affect him mentally. And given the fact that Trash's mother, Sally, is not only married... Um, She married the man who killed his father, but she also continually protects him from, you know, being sent to a hospital or getting treatment. It seemed like a case of, you know, oh, my baby can do no wrong. Um, Even when it's obvious that Trash has a problem or several problems and her protection of him probably does not help his behavior. I mean, it may have even enabled it. If he's not facing consequences for his actions, why not continue? And his fixation with fire uh, certainly grew over the years, as we see with King breaking down, you know, when he was first grade, he did this and then third grade and fourth, all the way up to when he was 17. So his, you know, from burning trash cans to mailboxes to a home and then a church. And I'm pretty sure that there's plenty of symbolism in the fact that trash burned down the, the church where his father was shot to death by his future stepfather. So Trash dealt with shock treatments at the hospital in Terre Haute. He had no doubt, that had no doubt affected his mental stability as well. And now with everyone dead, as far as Trash knows, he plans on making his way across the country, setting fire to every oil tank and gas station that he can find. He wants to watch the world burn, and he seems quite excited by this prospect. Trash does not appear to be overly affected by the fact that nearly everyone is dead, including, I'm assuming, his mother. He's still dealing with hearing voices, but without anyone there to stop him from committing arson, he's actually more fixated on what he can do now rather than the fact that the world has essentially been decimated. Trash feels like this is his destiny, that he has some greater purpose. And you know what? Maybe he does. Obviously, we don't know what that greater purpose is. At least not yet. Someone else who is ready to move on from their surroundings is Larry Underwood. He is still with Rita Blakemore in New York City, and the two decide to leave the city together. Unfortunately, that means a terrifying journey through the Lincoln Tunnel. We will be covering that next week in Chapter 35. And that's all I have for you guys for today's episode. Uh, What did you think about our introduction to Trash Can Man? Um, It's interesting to me. We are 34 chapters into book one, Captain Trips, and we're still uh, getting to know new characters. And um, they all have a purpose. And it's going to be really fun to find out what those uh, what that purpose might be for each of them. 
If you are enjoying this podcast, you can leave me a rating review at Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you happen to listen to this podcast on. If you want to send me um, an email or any kind of uh, feedback or just want to talk about the stand, I love that too. You can leave me an email or send me an email at thecirclecloses at gmail.com or you can find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at The Circle Opens. And I hope you all have a very, very, very happy holiday. And M-O-O-N, that spells, see you next week. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Mary. Christmas to you.